because he first loved us. If you look at that scripture, it indicates that the reality is we are not capable of loving him as we are. But because he loved us and we receive the love that he has for us, once we've received the love he has for us, we can't help but reciprocate the love that he has for us. We love him because he first loved us. It's like a, I, you know, my, my wife watches these little kids. We started with agreeing to one, then we agreed with two. We had two, and they were little, and then they grew up. One moved, the other one still have. They're right at five years old now, getting ready to go to school. But then the, the one that we still have, his mom had another baby. So now we got a little one again. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I don't think that little kid loves my wife. Not, nothing against my wife. I better explain that. So you're like, whoa, no, that makes sense. little Nikolai doesn't know he doesn't know the child learns to love by being loved you know some some adults don't think they're loved some kids don't think they're loved. And they don't know how to love because they haven't received love. But a child learns to love by being loved. You find someone who has... It's why... You guys can probably be seated. I just, I remembered you're back there and I might be a minute, so. I, I, you know, it's why you can have someone who can go from relationship to relationship to relationship and no relationship ever seems to work out or become healthy. And it's like, why is that happening? Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes you find someone that growing up in life, they went through these trials, these circumstances, these situations, whatever it is. I'm not trying to put a label on something, but you understand. And so they never fully received love or what they received developed in them a greater fear than it did a reception of love. Does that make sense? Maybe they received some love along the way. I, I, I grew up at a season in my life, in my childhood, where I knew people loved me, but the element of fear that worked as well in the midst of things was greater than that. And so I lived more in fear than I did in love. 
doesn't mean love wasn't present, but it means I, I developed a nature that was more responsive to fear. But you take someone that just grew up in love, it just gets reciprocated. And so the reason you have some that go relationship to relationship to relationship is they don't really have a true understanding of what true love is. And so they have defined it based on this world's ideas and pictures and stories and really the longing of the heart. You know, there's an old song. It's not a Christian song. I'm not going to sing it. But some of, you, some of you know it. There's a song that used to say, looking for love. And see, some of you know it. See, y'all been listening too. <laughs> Right? Anybody ever heard that song? Right? Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, they, yeah, the song says, looking for love in all the wrong places. That's about all I know is that line. Something about something that never existed or something, I think. But what would it? Now, I know that's just a song, but it, it, it bears a truth. People that do that. Because what happens is there is a place in our life, in our spirit, in the soul of mankind that knows we are meant to be loved. And no one can truly love us the way he does. And so when we begin and learn to receive the love that God has for us, we then learn how to love truly. And if you're going, well, what does that look like? Read 1 Corinthians 13. That's not the love of mankind that's described in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love of God that is described in 1 Corinthians 13. And so the only way you and I can manifest that type of love that doesn't envy, that doesn't boast, that doesn't vaunt itself, that doesn't seek hurt, that does, the only way we can ever love like that is for the love of God to dwell within us. And so we have to be able to receive the love that he has for us. And so the same way that child doesn't know to love its mother, the child learns to love its mother because of the love the mother has for the child and begins to show it. They learn to love their father because they've received the love of their father. Right? And so they love in kind. This is what John, I believe, an element of what he was saying when he said we love him because he first loved us. And so we've learned to love and I can tell you from my own life, and I would imagine probably from many of you, and the reason I would imagine that is because you're human just like me, and all of us at some way in shape or form went through and have gone through things in life that were less than ideal. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because you're not two. And life has a way of not always being ideal, doesn't it? And so because we've done that, and gone through those things, 
we've had to and we have to learn again to love. I know that's a new concept for some. I had to learn again. Because of experiences of life, I did not love freely. Does that make sense? Like, I'm, no, man, I'm guarded, I'm protected, I've got walls, I've, and so it's taken a long time before I'm letting anybody, I'm not showing, uh uh, I'm not a result of experiences through life. But then, and so what happened is I brought that into my relationship with God. I assumed, because of my makeup, my frame, I assumed that God did not just love me. I brought that into my experience. But the more I developed a relationship with him, the more I realized Wow, he loves me in a way I've never been loved before in my life. And it made me begin to want to reciprocate that. Is that making any sense this morning? I've had people along the way, maybe I've told some of you this. If I haven't, it's not personal. Don't take it the wrong way. Some of you, I've expressed to you, man, I love you. That's not me, you understand that. Not to burst any bubbles. That's God. It's a love that God has given. I want to reciprocate that. I want people to feel that. Him. I want them to know Him. I can't do that. Only He can. It's the love He has for us. In Jesus' name. Why don't you take a minute and why don't you just thank him this morning? Could we do that? Could we thank him that he saw us where we were? The Bible says that you, Lord Jesus, commended your love for me that while I was still a sinner, you expressed it by dying for me. I do not want to ever take for granted the precious love of God. I receive it into my spirit this morning. I receive it into my life today. I receive it, Lord. We as a people here this morning, we receive the love of God. Your love is perfect. Your love is pure. Your love is righteous. We receive the love of God this morning. We receive it, O oh Lord. It is your love that covers our sins. It is your love that draws us close to you. It is your love, Father, that heals our mind, that heals our body, that heals our soul and our spirit. It is your love that is perfected toward us. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. pick on him since he's not here when my firstborn was born he had this cone head 
he they tried to have him be born naturally and that just was not working so they had to take him c-section and uh but because of the process of the hours my wife spent in labor and them working he kept flipping over and that what happened he kept flipping they would flip him back and he'd flip him and so my wife had injured herself when she was younger and so I won't go into all that but so he was they took him by c-section and he had this cone head now this is my firstborn he's not here today like I said that's why I pick on him he had this cone head and uh man you know when you're a father for the first time some of y'all when you're a parent for the first time some of y'all haven't experienced that joy yet you sort of have this utopian picture of you know and i know some people say all babies are beautiful and i know what they mean but i mean you know what i'm talking about brother lewis work with me <laughs> i'm trying to be careful so i don't get in trouble uh, You've heard me before. I'm like, I'm so thankful we got beautiful kids here. I've been places where they're not beautiful. Thank God we got beautiful kids. <laughs> but, but here it is. True story, brother. Yeah, I go in. My wife, you know, she's still in there because she had C-section, so I get to go get the baby and hold him first. And so I go in, and oh, man, he's got this cone head. And I'm a little troubled, brother Joey. I'm thinking, oh, my, my wife hasn't seen him yet. And I can't remember if I told her or I just thought it. I think I told her, but maybe I just, maybe wisdom kicked in and I just thought it. But I don't know. I was young. I don't know that I had much wisdom then. I'm still working to try to get some now. But I remember thinking and maybe even saying to her, baby, he's a little ugly. <laughs> did I tell you that? I did say it. I did say it out loud. Now... He'll, he'll watch this, and he, he's heard this story. It won't. And, you know, I, can't nobody say I was honest, wasn't honest. I was concerned. I, I, this was my first go. Now, I, you understand? I got, I, got, I got experience now. You know, and he's 28 years old now, so he made it okay. But I did not know that his head would go back to a normal shape. Thank God. I mean, don't, I don't thank God I didn't know. I thank God it went back to a normal shape. Some of y'all sitting here looking at me like I'm this terrible father, but I didn't know. This was the first one, and there he is, and his head's like, it's, it's, it's a cone. And, and I, man, I'm, I'm troubled. This is true. I'm not making this up. I was troubled. But I can tell you this, man, I loved him. Everything in me loved him. He was bone of my bone. He was flesh of my flesh. This was my child. And a miracle of life had taken place. 
And I could say he was ugly, but anybody else say that? You with me? Those are fighting words. I loved him. My love for him was not based on how he looked at the moment. You understand, my love was not based on... and. Somebody could look and say, man, something's wrong with his head. I, I could see that. But as far as I was concerned, there was nothing wrong with him. He was framed the way God intended him to be framed. And I lived long enough, another week, to realize his head wouldn't stay that way. So you haven't had kids yet. You, you, now you know. You, you, you'll be spared some of the trauma I went through. But I loved him. How much more you as God's creation does he love you? Now you may have grown up with a parent that didn't love you or at least had actions that led you to believe they didn't. You may have grown up in a situation that you received anything and everything but what would be viewed as someone loving you. That does not change the fact that God loves you. It doesn't change it at all. And that he desires to do great things in and with your life. I'd like to read a couple places in the scripture this morning, could we? Thank you for being here today. We're honored. Whether guest or regular, we're honored that you're here. It's a privilege to come together. We do not come together to check off a list. We come together to draw closer to him, to find our purpose and our place in his body, and to do that which he would ask of us to do for his glory. Amen. We're going to read a few places here. Psalm 103. Some of you can quote this at least early on if you can't quote the whole thing. Stay with me. Sometimes when we can quote a verse, we skip right over stuff that's in there. And I'm telling you, the Psalms are powerful. All of the Word of God is powerful. But the Psalm, I find myself, you may have noticed this Thursday night, now you're hearing again. I'm finding myself in the Psalms a little bit here lately, and the Lord is talking to me, and I'm thankful. I love the Psalms. There's a ton of messianic prophecy in the Psalms alone that rich. But Psalm 103, watch. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, here he begins to talk about this Lord that he is blessing. And this is what he says, and this is what I want you to know. This is what we can skip over. We can quote and miss what the psalmist is declaring about our Lord. Who forgives all, everybody say all. All thine iniquities. Who healeth. All. What's that word again? 
all thy diseases. Now watch. This is what the Lord does, the Lord that I bless. He heals all your iniquities. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. You understand, we talked about this in the verse service. The adversary wants to destroy you. And if he could, he would. If he could, he would have already. I'll tell you what I told those in the verse service. You would not be here this morning if the adversary had his way. Because if the adversary could destroy you, you would already be destroyed. But God, by his mercy, has kept you. He redeems your life from destruction. This is what he does. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. You know why I think the psalmist used that word all so much here? Is because he was as human as you and I. And I think he knew. If I don't say all, which is the truth about the Lord somebody's going to find some reason to excuse themselves from the truth of this word of God. But he forgives you of all your iniquities. Somebody's going to find some iniquity to say, God won't forgive me, but he will. He forgives us of all. He heals all of our diseases. He redeems us from destruction. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's plenteous in mercy. Now, isn't it something in our human nature when we miss the mark, when we fall short, when we fail, when we sin, when we stumble, you fill in the blank. Our first inclination oftentimes is to give ear to the adversary who tempted us in the first place to make the mistake. And then we give ear to condemnation. Now, we don't justify sin. We need to get to an altar of repentance. We need to humble ourselves. We need to seek the face of God, seek repentance, and turn from those wicked ways. But we don't live in a place of condemnation. Conviction comes and grips our heart. And we find the Lord is merciful. But our human nature doesn't think of God's mercy right away. I mean, we want to. We're like, oh, God, forgive me, forgive me. But we should change. But the psalmist, is, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger. But our human nature says, man, he's getting ready to smack me upside the head. I got it coming, and I probably do, and so do you probably, maybe, I don't know. But he doesn't. Why? Because he's slow to anger. Unlike some of us, maybe. He's slow to anger. You know... I'm not trying to talk about my wife and kids and all that this morning. I, I have to be careful because I don't want to make them like, oh, Dad, why do you say that? You know, I don't want to do that. But these are examples we can all relate to. My wife is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. Anybody know moms like that? Yeah. Three of us, four of us. I was waiting for all the kids' hands to shoot up. I'm not mad. No, I'm kidding. Uh, 
Yeah, brother, brother Josiah threw his hand up. Slow to anger. Now watch. But I have. Me, I'm sometimes I, I learn from my wife a lot. My kids, I was the one that wanted to correct things really quick. They can acknowledge that. that I would be the one that's like, my wife, she's merciful. She's, and I'm like, baby, you're letting them get away with that. They're just going to walk on you. And they do sometimes. Not too much. They t- take advantage, not walk on. Let's, right? They'll take advantage of mom's love, that maternal instinct, that mercy, that grace. Me, I, I, I'm not always this way. My love manifests differently sometimes. I'm like, whom he loves, he corrects. Whom he loves, he chastens. Now, those are all attributes of the love of God. Correction, chastening is an attribute of the love of God. But that's not the first place he goes. But in our spirit, in our mind, we always think that's the first place he goes. But that's not the love of He's slow to anger. So the fact that he's slow to anger tells me the first thing he does isn't smack me upside the head. Now, it would probably be better if he did sometimes. But why doesn't he? Because he's teaching me to love by how he loves me. He's teaching me mercy. I'm trying to get somewhere, and we haven't got there yet. I'm sorry. Let's keep going. Watch verse 9. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. This is the nature of God that we serve. You got to know this about him. You got to know this. I'd read these verses over and over and over and over and over and over over again until you know the word of God is true and you know this about him. And so you have to go through experiences of life to come to know this about him. This is who he is. This isn't just something to make you feel warm and fuzzy. This is God. This is the God we serve. He forgiveth all your iniquities. He does this. This is who he is. Not because we earned it. It's who he is. Watch. Man, if nothing else, you should thank God for verse 10. We should all thank God for verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Thank you. Can we just thank him right now that that word is true? Thank you, Lord, for not dealing with me according to my sin. Thank you for not dealing with me according to my failures. Thank you for not dealing with me according to my mistakes, but for manifesting your love to me. Thank you. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. It does not mean he's just excused and said, oh, well, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you've done, whatever. just doesn't matter. No, no, he's not saying that. He's just saying, hey, if I dealt with you the way I should deal with you, the outcome would not be good for you. And therefore, because he's full of mercy and grace, He deals with us not according to our sin, but he deals with us according to his love for us. Does that make sense? And so his love for us comes in mercy, reaches to where we are, addresses our sin, doesn't just close a blind eye to it. 
but addresses us, gives us room for repentance, forgiveness, correction, and loves us back into right relationship with him. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is being in right relationship. You and I cannot be righteous in our own self. The prophet declared, mine and your righteousness is a filthy rags, but the righteousness of God towards us is pure and perfect. And so what happens? God comes and robes us in his righteousness. It brings us back into right relationship with him. I can't get there on my own ability. Why? Because I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the righteousness of God reaches to where I am. He says, you can't do it, but I can. And so the love of God reaches where you are and brings us back into right relationship. He doesn't smack us upside the head and say, you're a goofball, Joel. What were you thinking? That's the voice of the adversary. That's the enemy that wants to destroy your soul that's saying that. But the Lord says, if you allow me the room here, the Lord says, I love them cone head and all. I love them as they are. And the righteousness of God reaches to us to bring us into right relationship with him. Not to leave us like we are. But to begin to change us and lead us in right ways of living. So the blessing and the favor of God is upon our lives. This is what he does. You know, there's a saying that says, I can't remember how it goes, but it's stuck in my head. Um, something about you get more with honey than vinegar. You get more something. Flies. There you go. Why would anybody want to catch flies? I guess, but anyway, you catch more flies with honey than you, you've heard, you heard that statement. Yeah. And so, so you catch these flies, right? Honey goes for, well, you know what it is? It seems like the Lord understands this, doesn't he? Our human nature, when someone falls short or misses the mark, man, if, if we give in to our human nature, most of us, I won't put everybody in that category, but most of us are quick to criticize and judge and pff, that's not God. That's not what God does. God is quick to love. It's like God knew. Obviously, he knows. You understand what I'm saying. It's like God knew. I'm going to love them back into relationship with me. There will be a time for correction. There will be a time for instruction. There will be time for reproof and rebuke and these things that the word of God does. There will be time for that. But the Lord in his infinite wisdom and great mercy, the Lord says, no, first I want to make sure. You understand, he doesn't have some, it's not like he's manipulating us like men would do. It's genuine with God. 
He loves us. And so the love of God reaches to where we are, even in our failure. And begins, you know, if, some, if I fail or you fail, and the, the person or the situation in which I failed, you ever want somebody to just be mad at you and they're not mad at you? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, man, I messed up. Why don't you just kick me like I deserve? Uh, not, not really, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. You're like, man, maybe you try to help them out. You're like, man, I'm so sorry. I'm good for nothing. I'm such an idiot. I'm, you know, maybe you, you're trying to help them out. And, they're like, and then they're like, oh, it's okay. No, oh, come on, we're all human. We'll make, and you're like, man, it would be a lot easier if they would just be mad with me and mad at me and, you know, sort of take stuff out on me. And Anybody know what I'm talking about? But they're just so gracious and they're kind and you're, and you just can't do nothing. Does that make sense? Right? It's like it just disarms you because here they are just loving you in the midst of your mistake, loving you in the midst of your failure when they really should have just kicked you and told you what for. And yeah, you really are. Fill in the blank. An idiot, stupid, dumb. You really are foolish. You are. I'm not calling people names. I'm talking about actions we take. But instead, they love you. And you're giving room to condemnation, and you're beating yourself up, but they're not beating you up. They're loving you. You're like, man, I can't even do anything with that. But if they were to be unkind to you and agree with you and chastise it's easy for you then to bow your back and just turn and walk away and be angry still and sort of be justified and all that. But when they love you, you got no defense. That makes sense? It's like, man, I want to just tell them what for, but they loved me in spite of it. And now I'd, huh. I either got to do one of two things. I got to just turn and walk away and just fume in my own stuff and have a pity party or I have to receive and reciprocate that love. How much more the Lord? It's as though the Lord knew and he does know. I will love them in the midst of their failure and in loving them, I'll draw them into right relationship with me. And then when I bring them in right relationship, not by their doing. They didn't earn it. They messed up, but I loved them in it. That will cause them to love me. We love him because he first loved us. He loved me when I was not lovable. God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were perfect and had it all together. While we were sinners, he loved us. And then he brings us into right relationships so that he can then restore us, heal us, and use us for his glory. And he washes us with his blood, fills us with his spirit, births us, that's the new birth, births us into the body of Christ, 
And now we become a part of his body and we begin to manifest the love of God to others. We love because he first loved us. We want to complicate it. Now, I still haven't got where I think we're going, so we probably won't. But watch. What verse are we on? 11. Watch the next verse. We should know these things about God's nature. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. This is what God has done. This is his character, his nature. Watch verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children. There it is. So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Verse 14. This is where I was trying to get to. Why? For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. The Lord knows that about you. He knows that about me. He knows our frame. I know this doesn't feel very complimentary, but it's the truth of the word of the Lord. The Lord knows we're just dust. The psalmist isn't saying that in a negative way like the Lord thinks nothing of us, you understand? The psalmist is referring to the creation account from Genesis when the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul, Genesis 2 and 6. And so we see this. And so the, the psalmist in praising the goodness of God, in, in magnifying the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, forget not his benefits. All these things. He then begins to reflect on the nature of God and the goodness of God and the care of God. And he's saying he forgives all my iniquities. How is he able to write this? Because he knows I got iniquities, but he's forgiven me. He redeemed me from destruction. How is he able to write this? Because he should have been destroyed, but he wasn't. He's writing from a place of experiencing the nature of the character of God. And so he's declaring it for others to know. And he reminds maybe himself, but definitely those he's writing to. God remembers our frame. He knows how I'm made. How does he know how I'm made? Because he made me. He rem I forget. I forget I'm just dust. I, I, I'm just the creation of God. And I was just dust until, until he breathed into me the breath of life. Life comes from him. I did not produce life of my own doing. He gave the breath of life. This is why the writer could declare, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I did not earn that. I did not 
arrived there by my works and doing. It is the love of God that reached to where I was, pulled me from the muck and the mire by his love, and loved me back into relationship with him, and then began to show me his word. And because he loved me, I wanted to walk in his word. This is why Jesus would declare, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not keep my commandments. If you love me, show me. No, no, that's what we do. Jesus said, if you love me. And how do I love him? I love him because he first loved me. This is the nature of God. He knows your frame. Isn't this not, we all just want to be perfect. Don't we? Now, I know some of you, when I said that, you're like, not me. I don't try to be perfect. You know what I mean. Maybe we're not trying to be perfect, but we, we want to get everything right. We don't, we don't want to make mistakes. We don't, I, I know there's some that when they're younger, they just act out and make mistakes, but really what they're doing is they're wanting attention. They want to be loved. But, but we want to do well. We want to, and man, can we beat ourselves up when we mess up, can't we? You understand, I'm not talking about justifying wrong. But the writer of the word, David, declared, ha, ah, you need to know this about God. When you miss the mark, he remembers. He knows your frame. You know what that tells me? He knew I was going to do something foolish. He knew... I was going to do something crazy and fall flat on my face. He probably, I'm sure, in his great love, and because his word is true, when that temptation came before me, he made a way of escape. But me and my blind foolishness just walked right into it. And he didn't stand back and go, well, I made a way of escape, and they didn't take it, so therefore I have no care for them. That's what we think. That's what the adversary wants us to believe. But the Lord sees us in that broken state, and he says, well, I'll love them back again, and I'll love them back again, and I'll love them back again until they begin to reciprocate the love I have for them. And when they begin reciprocating the love I have for them, They'll keep my commandments. This is the process of God. You want to read about that in the scripture? Go read the book of Hosea. He exampled it to us through the prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer, who was a prostitute that the Lord told Hosea, go get her from the streets and bring her and marry her. And he did. Hosea obeyed the Lord, married her. And then Gomer, even though she had a husband that loved her and cared for her and provided for her, she went back to that which she had been brought out of by her husband, Hosea. And the Lord told him, go get her again and again. Why? Because the Lord said, this is how I love my people and I want them to see it. And so the Lord with you, he knows your frame. He knows my frame. He knows I'm just dust. Let's go one other place. 
I'll skip one place I thought we might read, but let's let's go all the way to the book of Romans. I think that's the one I want. That might not be the right place. Oh, no, let's go to 2 Timothy. I'm going to skip over Romans. Time. Let's go to 2 Timothy. And we'll finish here. You need to know how God feels about you. You really need to know how God feels about you and thinks about you. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's just start with verse 6. Paul is writing to young Timothy. Timothy's a young minister. Uh, no doubt affecting and leading some churches or at least groups of people. And I don't know all that Timothy's going through or dealing with or navigating, but the Apostle Paul, his father in the faith, has something to say to him that I believe is fitting and timely for where Timothy is and whatever he's facing. And so what Paul declares to Timothy can give us some insight, maybe not to the specificity, but in some idea of maybe what he was addressing in Timothy's life for where Timothy was. And he says to him, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the putting on of my hand. I don't know if Timothy was questioning the gift of God that was in him or if he was wondering whether God could use him or not. Maybe, I, I don't know, but something inspired the Holy Ghost, the Lord God himself, the Spirit of God, inspired Paul to write to Timothy and say, Timothy, I want to remind you that you need to stir up the gift of God that's in you. Timothy, God's still there. The gift is still there. And so I'm writing to remind you to stir that gift up. Sometimes you got to be reminded. Keep reading. And again, I believe he's addressing where Timothy is. I know we quote these verses sometimes when we read them like, oh, this is so fitting for me. But we forget, Paul is addressing a real human being and where they were. And after he says that, stir up the gift that's in you. That it's still there. It's still there. Stir it up. Timothy, next verse. God has not given us the spirit of fear. You don't need to be afraid of God smacking you upside the head. You don't need to be afraid of God not using you anymore. Let me just say that again. You don't need to be afraid of God not using you anymore. God has not given us the spirit of fear. John pointed to that. He said perfect love casts out fear. What does that mean? And when I know he loves me, I'm not afraid of other things. I am protected in the love of God. All right. So God, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. There it is. And of a sound mind. This is how God acts towards you, Timothy. He doesn't use a spirit of fear to bring you into alignment. Timothy, 
He's given you a spirit of power, spirit of love, a spirit of a sound mind. Next verse. Watch. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now I want you to watch verse 9. Watch this, because we read over this real fast, and we miss what Paul is writing and telling this young Timothy. According to the power of God, verse 9, who hath saved us, and what? It's right there. He's called us with what? A holy calling. What is a holy calling? That's a calling that is set apart. Holy is to be set apart, separated unto something or someone. So he has called us with a holy calling. He found us in our lost condition, loved us into right relationship, loved us until we begin to reciprocate his love. And now because we love him, we keep his commandments. And so he orders our life because he loves us. And we want to please him, not to earn stuff from him, but because he loves us. And so we walk in right relationship by the righteousness of God. And he's called us with a holy calling. That holy calling says, I have a calling for you, Brother Israel. But my calling is holy. It means it's not one that just intermingles with anything and everything in the world. My calling on your life is holy. I've separated you unto me. This is the Lord. I've separated you unto me. The calling I put on your life, I'm not sharing it with the world. The calling I put on your life, I'm not sharing it. You can't treat it casually or loosely. You can't treat it with just whatever. Come easy, come easy, go. I have a calling that is a holy calling. It separates you from other things. Holy calling. But watch. Notice this holy calling on your life. I want you to see that next line. This is what we read over. It's not according to our works. God can't use me because I... uh, Calling's not according to your works. Oh, see, we read that like... Oh, I didn't do good works to earn it. But we forget. My bad works didn't disqualify me. That's what he's telling him. I've read it the other way so long, and maybe it can apply the other way. But what he's telling him is, hey, that holy calling on your life, Timothy, stop thinking it's disqualified because of bad works. Now, he's not telling Timothy to walk in those things, you understand. We've got to come out and be separate. It's a holy calling. It's a holy calling. So you got to be separated from those works that maybe you walked in in times past. But the love of God says, come on, let me take you out of that. You don't have to live in that anymore. You don't have to walk in that anymore. I'm drawing you by my love. My righteousness towards you is reaching to you. And I have calling on your life. I have purpose for you. I have destiny for you. And you need to know, Timothy, it's not according to your works. You can't mess up enough to make God not want to use you. He wants to use you. 
in his body, in his kingdom, for his purpose, for his glory. And so when you and I fall and fail and make mistakes, what do I have to do? I have to get back into the love of God. I let the love of God reach to me again. I humble myself in repentance, in genuine repentance before God. And the love of God restores me. And the calling of God remains because his gifts and calling are without repentance. He does not remove them. And so therefore, this holy calling that sets on your life, stop thinking you earned it. Or stop thinking you got to do something to earn it. It's not according to your works or my works. I operate in the ministry I operate in, not because I've earned it or I've done stuff to prove. I operate in it because it's the calling of God that sets on my life. And the same is true of you. You have a calling set upon your life. And it is a holy calling that separates you from the things of this world. And God said, my calling on your life will be fulfilled, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's already done. Stop disqualifying yourself because of past works. Stop disqualifying yourself. He knows your frame. He knows my frame. We are but dust. But the living God can take dust and form it and breathe into it and give it life and use it for his purpose. Look, we got to finish the verse. He's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according. There is something that defined our calling, but it's not defined by our works or our lack thereof, by our failures or our successes. Our calling is defined according to his own purpose and grace. You know what that tells me? He has a calling set on your life. And the calling that's set on your life came with purpose in it. And I don't care how much dumb, foolish, stupid, ignorant stuff you and I have done. If I'll get on the altar and get it under the blood. His calling will still work to fulfill his purpose. And it'll happen not because you and I earned it. It happened because of grace. We walk in the calling of God. By the grace of God, not by our own doing, not by our own ability. You, you, you want an example of this in the scripture? In the book of Acts, they were doing these many wonderful works. And the Bible says great grace was on them all. They were walking in their calling and great grace was enabling them to do so. Stop thinking you got to get it done on your own. You don't. You can't. I can't. And stop thinking you messed up so God can't use you. It's not according to works. It's according to his purpose. It's according to his grace. And so he'll give you grace for the hour and for the need.
It's a great book you should read sometime. And it was my pastor during my teenage years that married my wife and I. He wrote the book. It's called Grace for the Race. Such a beautiful story. It's his life story of God finding him on the streets. He was a troublemaker and always in trouble. And I remember it right. His wife was in juvie. Hard to imagine for those that know her. They were trouble. Mean streets of Springfield, Missouri. He was always in trouble. She was in trouble. And God radically transformed their life. Loved them into his grace. Used them to plant the church in a city that is still there more than 50 years later and has grown, has impacted that city in a significant way and continues to this day. Why? Because there was a holy calling on his life and grace came and the grace of God enabled him to walk in the calling of God. You say, how do I do it? The grace of God. It's not a warm and fuzzy. It's an enabling power of God that comes through the Holy Ghost. The writer of Hebrews identified the Holy Ghost as the spirit of grace. Enables you. Now stand with me so that I'll finish. Watch this. Watch this. This is so beautiful to me. I've read this so many times. But I'm telling you the way the Lord has been talking to me about it. He saved us. That's the first thing he did. He called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. We've established that. But according to his own purpose and grace. So when you start believing the word of God, you recognize, hold on a minute. I got calling on my life because God called me. And not only did he call me. He actually called me with a purpose. He has a purpose for the calling that's on my life. You know what that tells me? Somebody else can't take your place. You got to let God put you in the place he wants you. This is why he sets members in the body as it pleases him. Because each part has purpose. And we have to fulfill our purpose. This is why he has sheep that are not yet in the fold. Them also he must bring. Because they have calling. And they have purpose. And he's trying to get them in to fulfill his purpose. Now watch. This is what you got to see about the calling of God that's on your life. And the purpose of God that's on your life. When did he give it to you? What does it say? When did he give it to you? <laughs> the calling and purpose of God for your life. I wish you'd just take your hand right now and sit it on your chest. Would you do that? I, you need this word to be personal. I believe it. The calling of God and the purpose of God for your life, it was given you in the Lord Jesus Christ before the world began. Jesus, in him who dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body, in him 
was given your calling and purpose before the foundation of the world. This is why the Lord could say of Jeremiah, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Why did I know you? Because you were already a part of my plan. I already had purpose. God who knows the end from the beginning because he is the end in the beginning. He said, I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am the first. I am the last. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I'm he which was and is and is to come. The almighty. That's who he said he was. He knew you before he formed you. And so when he formed you, he said, I've got purpose in the earth. I've got purpose for my creation. And so therefore, every individual I form, I will form them with calling in their life before the beginning of the world. He knew you. He knows your name. He's numbered the hairs on your head. He has calling set on your life. You are in this time and hour. He knew you would be alive in 2023. He knew that and he ordained it. And so you have to purpose. I'll walk in my calling. I'll stop resisting. I'll stop making excuses because of past works that would have separated me from the love of God. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing shall separate us. Come on, talk to him right now. Acknowledge the long, strong, sure arm of God that's reaching to you and I this morning and affirming to us yet again. I love you. I got calling on your life.